morning to uh, East Point. Um, it's just a pity that I can't be there with you, but I understand that uh, all of what is going on in the world right now, um, uh, and maybe next time that, that I'm speaking with you, uh, we'll be actually there with you in the building. Um, it is good uh, to, to, to speak to you this morning. Um, I, it's also good that things seem to be going in the right direction for us in terms of uh, lockdowns and all of that. So it's it's uh, it's a day to be happy. It is the day that the Lord has made. And yes, I know that there are a lot of people who still, unfortunately, are struggling with the pandemic and people who are sick and all of that. And that's really important that we continue to pray for them. Uh, but uh, thank you, God, that life is going in the right direction. Do so. So this morning I want to talk uh, about the sovereignty of God, and the sovereignty of God is something that uh, I'm sure it's a it's a it's a statement that you're familiar with, an attribute of God that you're familiar with. Um, I certainly think that maybe over the last year it has been a phrase that has been used quite regularly, um, and maybe maybe it hasn't. Maybe maybe I've just noticed it that little bit more because it's been something that I've been studying over the last. A number of months and uh, but anyway it's something I just want to talk about this morning uh, just be- sort of before we start I want to point out this book here A.W. Tozer The Attributes of God uh, this volume 2 in this particular instance an excellent book that I used and uh, also I refer to this little book here uh, Sovereignty of God by A.W. Pink as well and so let me read one verse before we get into this Deuteronomy 4 39 says this Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath there is no other. So the verse is simply saying that God is God in heaven above, God is God on the earth beneath and there is no other but God. And I just love the idea of that and it's not even an idea, it is just the reality and the truth of it. And to say that God is sovereign then is really to say that God is supreme over all things, that God is in control of all things. And that's really something that is should be important to all of us as believers. Uh, and, but I, I suppose I just need to stress that as a question for you in your life and ask the question, is God in control of all things? Now, I would expect that you believe that I believe that God is in control of all things and the fact that I'm talking about the sovereignty of God is absolutely the case that I believe that God is in control of all things. But I remember back about a year ago whenever lockdown had started, just started actually, and I remember listening to a guy speaking uh, online uh, way back as I say at the start uh, of this cruel pandemic. and. I remember him saying something again. Not again. Not. I'll not say who it was, of course. But uh, also, um, I don't th- think the guy didn't mean anything by it. But just it sort of struck a chord with me whenever he said it. And he was talking about the pandemic. He was talking about COVID nineteen, and he basically said that God did not do this. And I remember thinking at the time, I understand what you're saying in terms of the sentiment as to what you mean by it. As providing a comfort to your people, but I remember thinking at the time, is can you actually say that? Can you actually say that if we believe in sovereignty, if we believe that God is in control of all things, can we actually say 
no, God did, didn't do this. Uh, and I know that as Christians, very often we'll use the phrase, phraseology that God allows something. And of course, if we believe that as God's supreme, if God is sovereign, that, that at the very least, he's allowing things to happen. But you sort of look at some of the texts from Scripture regards this, you, 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 and particularly in the Old Testament, you look at things like the children of Israel, for example, whenever they were trapped in Egypt and Moses went in there to negotiate, I suppose, maybe the, the terminology to use, albeit that God was absolutely in control, but to go in to, uh, and to secure the release. And it's interesting that whenever you look at that, that you read those verses and it talks about God hardening Pharaoh's heart. You also look and at and think about the plagues that came, and those plagues clearly came from God at the time to deal with the situation. You also maybe look at the book of Job, for example, and you look at the chapter one and chapter two of Job, and you see what happened to Job. Um, and you'll clearly read there in chapter one and chapter two that at that time, in relation to those events, that Job didn't sin. And yet, whenever you read chapter one and chapter two of Job, you will clearly see that God brought about what was happening in Job's life. Job's life. And, and another example, just by way of example, before we move on, is the King Saul, for example. King, King Saul, in the Old Testament times, whenever he had lost his way uh, and he was uh, troubled in mind, and if you remember, the young David used to come and play soothing music for him to help calm him down. And I just would read one verse from that episode in Saul's life, uh, just to sort of make this point a little bit. Is And it's First Samuel 16 and 14. And it says there that now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and the harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. If you look at the NIV, it actually says, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Now, I'm not here to really get into the detail of that and explain what that means, because I'm not so sure I would be able to. But it gives me a comfort in knowing that actually God is absolutely 100% in control of all things. And that's what sovereignty means. Um, and so therefore he is supreme. And so whenever we look at the supremacy of God, at sovereignty of God, it's the same thing, really. Um, here is what A.W. Pink says about God's supremacy and the fact that God can do whatever it is that he needs to or wants to do. And here's what he says. God's supremacy over the works of his hands is vividly depicted in Scripture. At his pleasure, the Red Sea divided and its waters stood up as walls. And the earth opened her mouth, and guilty rebels went down alive into the pit. When he so ordered, the sun stood still, and on another occasion went backward ten degrees on the dial of Ahaz. To exemplify his supremacy, he made ravens carry food to Elijah, iron to swim on top of the waters, lions to be tamed when Daniel was cast into their den, fire to burn not when the three angels were flung, sorry, the three Hebrews were flung into its flames. Thus, Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deep places. And that last sentence there is actually a quote from Psalm 135 verse 6. Let me just read that verse again. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and on earth, in the seas and in all deep places. So God 
is in absolute control. There is no one greater than God. There is nothing that God has not foreseen. There is nothing that God has not planned for or planned. Why? Because I don't think we can take a, the God that we serve and somehow put constraints on him. Because that's just not God anymore. And so God's sovereignty, sovereignty implies his absolute freedom to do all that he wills to do. Now, that's important that God will only do or is able to do what he wills to do. For example, God cannot lie. I think we'd all accept that. Why? Because God wills not to lie. God cannot break a promise. Why? Because it would violate his nature and therefore would be against his will. So, yes, there's things that God cannot do, but it's because God has willed it that he cannot do them uh, rather than God having any inability whatsoever because that is just not the case. And so God has a complete freedom to do as he pleases, always and forever. There is no one that can compel God. There is no one that can hinder God. There is no one that can stop God in any way. And so because of God's sovereignty then, we as Christians should be restful and peaceful in this world of crisis that we live in. This pandemic should not worry us. It shouldn't face us. Now, I also want to say here that this pandemic is very real. Uh, this pandemic has killed uh, probably millions worldwide, certainly hundreds upon hundreds of thousands, I would imagine. And it's been a terrible illness and nobody can dispute that. And I would imagine that many people, if not everybody watching this video here, would probably know someone who has been affected by COVID. You may even know someone who has unfortunately lost their lives to COVID. So I'm not, I'm not diminishing the fact that it is a serious illness. What I am saying is that no matter what we face in life, whether it be this pandemic or other illness or other circumstances or anything at all, it shouldn't worry us. It, it shouldn't phase us. Why? Because we should be able to be determined to understand that there is nothing that can or will happen to us without the knowledge or the express permission of God. It's, it's just simply no other way to look at that. So, I can say that Satan, and I, you know, I really believe that people need to hear this this morning. And it's really important as believers that we remind ourselves of this. Satan is simply not free to wreak havoc on whomever he pleases. That is just not the way of it whatsoever. Satan just can't decide who he's going to destroy. You can see that in Job chapter 1 and 2 again. It was God was firmly behind what was going on to Job. And yes, the devil may have carried it out, but God was in control of the scenario. Why? <laughs> the devil is subject to God. You know, don't lose sight of that. And as, as Christians, we very often see that equation the other way around. And I, I suppose that's human nature just to uh, sometimes think like that. And I suppose I was thinking about this this week when I was preparing and I thought about 
the analogy of a seesaw. And I thought, do you see God and the devil on two ends of the seesaw? In other words, sometimes God's up, sometimes the devil's up. And depending on who pushes and moves and kicks hardest depends on the position that people are on in the seesaw. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to be derogatory in any way when it comes to thoughts of God. But what I'm saying is, is that do you see God and Satan in some sort of cosmic battle? I just want to pause there because whenever we talk about the enemy and we talk about Satan, do we have the mindset that it's actually God that he's fighting against? No, the devil is fighting against the archangels and the angels and maybe fighting against us, but there is absolutely nothing in the devil's ability whatsoever to fight God because God cannot be fought. God is the seesaw. God is in control of all things. And yes, there may be spiritual battles going on, but that's not the devil against God because God will always win and God has won and God has been winning from the very, very start. It's not even about winning. God is. We can't we can't lose sight of the fact of the God that it is that we serve and love. And don't let Satan convince you of any other thing. So God from the start will carry out his plan. He has lived all of your tomorrows already. Nothing will take him by surprise. He is not having to constantly change or tweak his plan based on you or others or the devil. It's not like God is sitting up there going, what is he going to do today? Because depending on what Phil does today will dictate as to how I'm going to develop Phil's plan. No, God already knows everything. If we believe that God is all-knowing uh, and we believe that he is supreme and that he is sovereign, then we have to accept that God knows everything from start to finish, even before it happens. You know, theologians may change their minds. It's quite possible. But God is the great I am. That's a phrase in scripture that I absolutely love, that God referring to himself as the I am. And Jesus also refers to himself in the book of John as the I am. I just love it. But God is the same yesterday, today and forever. And he will never change. He has always been there. He will always be there. And to him there is no start or no end. His plans are perfect and he will prevail. As believers, we really need to get excited about that. Because God has all authority. He has all power. Can you conceive of a God without all authority? Can you conceive of a God without all power? God has limited, limitless amounts of both. Like, do you think God has to seek permission for anything? Who would he go to? You know, whenever you look again at the the, the, the scenario that we've referred to already, and that's in Job chapter 1, Job chapter 2, God wasn't negotiating with the devil. He wasn't uh, having some sort of a committee meeting as, a, as to what was going to happen. God was speaking. And it, it God was determined everything from the start to the finish of that and satan was completely subservient to god 
And do you think God sits around in the heavens with a committee of senior angels deciding where the next galaxy is going to be created? No, it doesn't work like that. Isaiah 44, 6 says that thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Beside me, there is no God. Simple, simple, simple stuff. And God is the only creator as well. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. God's created absolutely everything, even the things that you may not like. Uh, but God has created it all. You know, interesting that some of the world's renowned physicists have supposedly discovered what they are calling a fifth force of nature fifth force of nature you may have heard it in the news and read about it maybe it's interesting that the all of the current uh, laws of physics are built around uh, four forces of nature and they've potentially discovered a fifth and if it is correct what it is that they've discovered then that will actually change the rules of physics. But it's interesting to know that I could tell them as, as a non-physicist that God is all of the forces of nature and it's God that created everything. And the more you try to discover the origins of this universe, the closer it is that you're actually going to get to discovering that it was God that did it, our all-powerful God. Isn't that fantastic? Isn't that interesting? Uh, uh, just great. So anyway... Um, so we've talked about sovereignty there and that God is in control and the complete supreme being of this entire universe that we live in. But what about free will? Free will is one of the, those contentious things whenever you actually think about sovereignty. OK, so the question is, if God is sovereign, and I think from the first uh, um, number of minutes here, you'll, you'll agree that, that I believe that God is sovereign. And I would imagine that most people watching this video will also believe that God is sovereign. But if God is sovereign, then you have to ask the question. If God is sovereign, what about man's free will? Because is there a tension within that? Because man's free will would suggest that man is in control of some of his decisions. So therefore, does that take away from the sovereignty of God? Or what about what is known in the apologetics world as the problem of evil? Okay, or the King James Version calls it the mystery of iniquity. Uh, the English Standard Version calls it the mystery of lawlessness. And it's this idea of evil that is present in the world. Um, and it, we can all see that evil is present in the world. But it's interesting, Second Thessalonians 2, 7 says this, For the mystery of lawlessness, or the mystery of iniquity, or the problem of evil, um, is already at work. But only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And that is a reference to the Holy Spirit who is restraining the evil that goes on in this world. So can you imagine that if God did, didn't intervene at all, how much evil would be in this world whenever we see the evil that is already there? And the question I think is a fair question, and I've been asked it many a times, is why does God allow evil things? Why does God allow people to make really poor bad choices and do evil things and i don't really understand that um and i suppose the question that you may have been asked is why does a holy god allow bad things to happen and do you know what i can't 
start to explain that other than to suggest that God allows evil because we see evil, there is evil in the world, so we can't deny that it is there, so God allows it. And his plans took it into account. And God knew everything from the foundation of the world, and he created even Lucifer. Now, I don't believe for a second, and I'm sure you don't either, that God made a mistake when he made Lucifer because he doesn't, God doesn't make mistakes. So when God created Lucifer, he knew exactly what Lucifer, who became Satan, was going to do. And so no mistakes were made. And so God understands and knew about all of this long before the foundation of the world. And God knew about the sin that would be in the world. God knew about the sin that would be in your life, in my life. And it does not, nor never will, change God's plans. God has provided a solution for sin in the person of Jesus Christ, in the death of Jesus Christ, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so there is this tension between sovereignty and free will. There are some people who, some theologians, some godly scholars who do not believe in free will. Uh, A.W. Pink, who I quoted earlier on, does not necessarily believe in man's free will. And there are others out there as well. But there was a, there's a guy called uh, Plantinga, Plantinga. Uh, Alvin Plantinga he was born in 1932. I think he's still alive. And he, in terms of the apologetics of the problem of evil, uh, created what has become known as the free will defense. Um, and, and here's what the free will defense, de defense states. It says that God cannot create beings, beings with free will that would never choose to do evil. Okay. And then he goes on to say that God can create free creatures but he can't cause or determine them to do only what is right. For if he does so, then they aren't significantly free after all. So in other words, if God creates free creatures, men and women with free will, God will not stop them from doing wrong because therefore they're not actually free. <laughs> and so now, from what we read there in Second Thessalonians, we know that the Holy Spirit restrains and holds back uh, evil and gratuitous evil, and that, and that is fantastic. But yet, people have the opportunity to make choices for themselves with, within God's overall remit, I believe. And so how do we resolve what some would see as a contradiction between sovereignty and free will? Well, Tozer, I think Tozer gets it. Uh, really well and certainly I can agree with what Tozer says about it God Almighty is sovereign okay so that's what we're talking about God Almighty is sovereign in other words free to do as he pleases and among the things that he is pleased to do is to give me freedom to do what I please and when I do what I please I am fulfilling the will of God not controverting it for God in his sovereignty has sovereignly given me freedom to make a choice now there's maybe a lot of words there, and I apologize for that. But basically, Tozer, uh, well, he gives a good analogy to sort of uh, explain what it is that he's saying. And he gives the example of a ship traveling from New York to Liverpool, okay? And the ship leaves New York, it will arrive in Liverpool, and the people who are on the ship will have be able to make choices every day as to what it is that they're going to do whilst on the ship, but the ship's still going to Liverpool. In other words, the port that we leave is birth. The port that we will eventually arrive at, as the Bible says, appointed unto man once to die, then after that the judgment. 
Death is the other port, and in between we make choices. But the ship will always arrive at the appointed time. And you and I will answer for what it is that we have done or not done when we get there. And that's for believers and non-believers, because if you arrive at that port of death as a non-believer, then you will stand before the great white throne of judgment and you will be judged for the sin that is in your life and you will be cast into hell for all eternity. And if you're a believer, you will also stand before a, a judgment seat and that is what's known as the Bema seat of Christ or the judgment seat of Christ. And you will be have to give an account for everything that you chose to do or not do with God in your life. And I don't know about you, but that actually scares me a little bit as to some of the choices that I may make on a daily basis. And so, yes, I believe that we have a measure of free will. I believe that we can make choices as to how we live as Christians. You look at Scripture, it talks all about being rewarded or not rewarded, depending on what it is that you do as a believer, as a Christian. And so we have to have a measure of freedom and, and that people out there in the world who are still unbelievers have a measure of freedom and sometimes some people make really really awful bad evil choices but God's plan will still come to pass and you will be able you will be held as I've said accountable to the sovereign will of God Almighty whether you're a believer or not a believer and God already knows God already knows that all of the decisions that you're going to make, God already knows the actions that you're going to uh, take. But I believe that everyone still has uh, choices within that. Uh, interesting uh, verse here from Joshua 24, 15. And with this, we're going to finish. And uh, Joshua says here, and if, if, and sorry, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you know Joshua from the Old Testament times and that is exactly what it was that he did. And so I suppose then the question for us today is, are we going to choose to serve the Lord? Are we going to choose to follow the Lord? You know, and, and, and so my challenge this morning as I finish and uh, look at this idea of sovereignty and God being in control of all things, even the difficult things, and that, and, and that Satan's just simply not free to do whatever it is that he wants, but, but, but that God allows certain things to happen in our lives uh, for whatever reason. But we need to make decisions. We need to make decisions. If you're not a believer this morning, you need to decide to follow Jesus. If the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart right now, you've got to reach out to that. You've got to accept Jesus Christ as your own personal saviour. You know, because the Bible tells us that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every last person who has been born into this world has been born into sin. But the Bible And the Bible also says that for the wages of that sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in heaven with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. How do we receive that love of God? Well, the Bible says that whilst we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he died on the cross. He hung there, suffered, took your sin, my sin upon himself. 
so that he would pay the price for it. So that if we then believe in our heart, confess with our mouth that Jesus died and that Jesus, God raised Jesus from the dead, then the Bible says you will be saved. And so I urge you to accept Jesus as your own personal saviour. And if you do that, or if you want to know more about that, contact the church through your usual contacts. Um, contact Pastor Stephen or the other leaders of the church here as well. And just finally, if you're a believer today, already a believer, you've got choices as well. You've got choices to not worry, maybe. And I get, don't get me wrong, I, I understand the world that we live in and, and sometimes I get worried too and sometimes I get stressed and anxious about things as well. But the Bible tells me that God is in control and, and that Jesus loves me no matter what, even in the really difficult days. And so if you're a believer, choose to accept what the word says, get into the word of God, believe it, trust it, live it and live your life for God as well. You know, make some real good decisions about how to follow God and, uh, and how to you know, how to serve him best. And so, look, uh, ho hopefully you've, you've uh, enjoyed what we've talked about here in terms of sovereignty. Um, as I said at the start, I look forward to getting back to uh, church with you there at East Point. And uh, God bless you. I just want to finish in a wee short word of prayer, Lord. I just thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for what it means to us, Lord. I thank you for your supremacy, your sovereignty, and Lord, that you are in control of all things. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, for anybody listening who is not yet a believer, Lord, that they would commit their lives to you uh, and be sold out to you, Lord, and turn away from their uh, sinful lives, Lord God, and just turn to you, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, for us as believers too, that you would just help us, encourage us, help us to get through this tough time that we face, Lord, and help us to make good decisions, Lord, to live every day for you, Lord, and to confess our sins daily too, because we're not perfect this side of heaven. In Jesus' name we pray.